Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that will help you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. Together, for you. Welcome to episode number five. I'm really excited about today's episode because I think this is a topic that affects a lot of people and I think will um, be quite beneficial for a lot of people. The topic today is food addiction, and I was lucky to interview a guest, Dr. Vera Tarman, who is an addiction specialist in Toronto and has written a book called Food Junkies regarding food addiction. This is something that's still not discussed all that openly in our society, and yet really affects some people and can be a real barrier to long-term weight loss, uh, as once willpower runs out and the addictive pathways start to get triggered again, it can lead to old behaviors and weight regain. And I think it's a useful episode and interview to listen to, even if you don't feel that you have any addictive type tendencies towards food, as I think the basic information can really apply to wherever you are on the continuum of eating and overeating. Food addiction would be at the far end, but a lot of the same principles apply to why we tend to overeat certain foods more than others. And so I think for that, even if you don't feel that you have a true food addiction, it's still worthwhile to have a listen. I just want to apologize for the audio quality on my end during the interview. I had to make a last minute location change because of internet connection issues in our house. And so it's a little bit echoey from doing it in my office. I apologize and I hope it's not too disruptive to your listening enjoyment. And now a quick break to review a disclaimer. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. And now, back to the episode. And without further ado, here is the interview with Dr. Tarman. All right. So, hi, Vera. Uh, it's really nice to have you on uh, the interview. And as I said, you're the first interview for this podcast, which is kind of exciting. Um, but can you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, thank you so much for asking me to uh, speak and be the first speaker um, on this podcast, which I think is a great idea. Um, my name is uh, Vera, uh, Dr. Vera Tarman. I'm uh, located in Toronto, uh, and uh, I've been in. I started in family practice in um, 1994, uh, and um, about. 10 years out of family practice, I decided to focus my attention on addiction medicine. And uh, that's what I do primarily now. So now I'm the uh, medical director of um, one of the uh, uh, treatment centers in Toronto, and actually one of the biggest ones in Canada, that's called Renaissance. And um, I oversee uh, three different um, treatment centers. So that means I get to see, it, it's, it's a sort of a short-term acute care medicine, and I get to see probably about a thousand new patients a year in addiction. And uh, I feel like I'm pretty um, well equipped to talk about uh, addiction 
um, because I see so many people, different people, so I see lots of patterns. And uh, definitely I've seen the uh, food piece um, just become so obvious, especially when I'm, I've been looking for it um, over, over the years. So um, I, I, uh, I'm very happy to be on this podcast so that I can speak about this concept, which I see clinically all the time in my addiction population. And then now that I know the sort of clinical scenario and the pattern, I see it out in the general population as well. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, as a family doctor, I, uh, or, or that being my background, I think it's so, so important that we um, uh, recognize this as a phenomena, which the medical profession hasn't really yet, because, you know, we've got this obesity issue and we're trying to deal with weight and the perpetual cycle of yo-yo dieting. And to me, it's like a missing piece of that big puzzle of uh, obesity management that hasn't been uh, clinically um, um, acceptable yet. Yes. And I know from like my experience with talking with lots of patients with weight issue, um, one of the questions I ask on my questionnaire is, do you feel you have any addictive behaviors towards food? Oh, and right. patients identify that quite frequently. Yeah. Like, you know, medicine isn't really, like, it, it's there, but it's not really mainstream. But I think yeah. at the patient level, people feel that. Yeah, they really feel it. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get on the tangent of, you know, why it is that uh, we clinically don't want to go there. Uh, I mean, there is research now uh, that that's looking at uh, this. And there's there. If if anybody is actually talking about addiction, food as an addiction, it's actually family doctors. It's not generally the obesity doctors. It's certainly or the bariatric clinicians, and it's certainly not the dietitians in the hospitals. Uh, it's if anybody, it's it's the family doctors and then the addiction doctors. So um, that's why I'm so glad that you're doing this talk because I think it has to come from the bottom up. The patients and then the family doctors who are dealing with it and then hopefully eventually into the specialist circles. Yeah, and I, I think I've looked forward to this because um, like I mentioned to you just before we started recording is uh, when I've done my training in obesity medicine, there's some brief dis- talks about it, but not, not a lot. So I'm looking forward to picking your brain essentially you know i think Um, sorry go ahead no go for it well um i I, my guess is that you're going to ask me very soon about um you know and it segues into this you know why are we not talking about this on a on a sort of clinical level um not just hey it looks like that but here is the diagnosis like why is it not actually part of the dsm-5 um Mm -hmm. i I mean i think it's a very political slash potentially economic issue but i think that one of the the problems is is that um there's already um a a couple of paradigms that are acceptable in the medical model that the people are reluctant to leave and that is just this is normal eating but people who are you know compulsively overeating but they're still normal eaters and if we could just figure out the dynamic we can uh, get them to be back to normal eaters or uh, in the extreme, possibly they have an eating disorder. And so it's just binge eating or bulimia. And we've got these two um, uh, already acceptable paradigms and, and it's very hard to move out of those. Yeah. And those kind of fit with the, the sort of in the North American approach to obesity and weight issues in that ultimately it's just the problem of the person eating. Right. Yeah. 
Like, That's right. like you're just choosing to eat the wrong foods and eating too much of them. And if you just kind of get your head on straight, yes. you'll yes. just fine, which yeah. helps nobody and ends up with people feeling um, a, a whole lot of shame and other uh, blame type emotions because they feel out of control and yeah. they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Exactly, exactly. Or uh, eventually they'll say, well, I guess I have an eating disorder. And then they sort of go down that route. And you know, in the history of uh, the clinical management of uh, obesity from the behavioral or, um, perspective, um, it, you know, it has been you know, the diets, the Weight Watchers, and, the, and any number of diets that exist now with dietitians and whatnot, ending with the same result that, that you've just said, which is they, the person's successful and then they fall and then they feel shame. Mm -hmm. And then we've got uh, um, uh, probably, you know, and that's where a lot of a lot of the research now in the in the uh, bariatric world is, you know, what kind of medications can we do to understand appetite and to understand satiety, and can we find the hormonal perfect scenario so that we can make this normal behavior normal again? Um, but you and I know that that's not, I, it's not enough. Like people who eat out of control are not eating because they're hungry and they need to be a little more full. It's got mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. Um, and um, the other paradigm is the eating disorder paradigm. And even in, in that area, if you look in the research, you do see the word food addiction. Like there people, some of the more, um, uh, um, I don't know, a daring or, I mean, there are some people in the eating disorder field that do try to understand the addictive component um, uh, alongside um, uh, eating disorders. And probably the one that um, is the best known in my uh, understanding is Carolyn Davis, who's uh, here uh, actually in Toronto. And she's been talking about um, eat, uh, food addiction as possibly being sort of at the end of the spectrum of eating disorders. So you've got the uh, binge eater, um, uh, who maybe through some kind of, I don't know, mindfulness and, and uh, mindful or cognitive therapy and looking at issues of the past, they may be able to uh, curb their eating into a normal pattern. But at, at a certain point, that behavior edges into food addiction. So she sees it as a continuum. But mm -hmm. is it a continuum? Is it a distinct entity? Who knows? We don't know. Yeah, and that's always my question when I read into it is, there's overlap, right, yeah. in, in the binge eating and food addiction. So, um, you know, how does somebody kind of figure out which part of that they're yeah. in? Yes, that's right. Do you have kind of um, just, we may as well start with sort of your definition of what food addiction is mm -hmm. and how you would suggest people identify if they, how would somebody know if this is what they're dealing with? Yeah. So you know, with the with with the, the diagnostics, it's it's so difficult because of this overlap. And then you know, is it an overlap of a dis two distinct or three distinct entities, or is it just one blended continuum? Um, the the uh, 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 because I I'm coming from an addiction framework, um, it, I I'm already. Um, uh, making, I guess, a biased assumption that I'm going to look at this person from the perspective of that, do they fulfill the, the criteria of the DSM-5. And we do have um, a, a, a tool that's based on the DSM-4 or 5 called the Yale Food Inventory uh, mm -hmm. that was done, um, uh, and I, I think it's now maybe 15 years old, and it's been scientifically validated um, 
it's the best tool that we have. It's not great because it's actually more of a scientific tool than it is a useful tool in the, in, in the field, you know, in, in the clinic itself, but it's something. Um, and uh, uh, based on the addiction criteria, and uh, I don't worry too much about, I mean, it looks like a binge eating disorder, so I'm gonna ask questions that are based on uh, um, um, characteristics that look very much like a binge eating um, 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 disorder as well. But uh, anyway, so what I'll do is I'll ask my questions, which are, are you know, um, using this uh, Yale food inventory. Um, I don't want to go through them all because there, I think it's like 15 questions or 20 questions, but it, it grasps the dynamic of addiction, which are the, the three or four, which are, is, is there a compulsion that can be overriding? In other words, take up a person's mental space to the point where um, um, other things get put aside, like social events and and you know occupational events and whatnot. Um, um, is there some level of impairment because of that obsession or that behavior, so that that mm -hmm. they're, they're now having diabetes or they're now so obese they have to use a, a you know a, a, a wheelchair? Um, uh, are they able to stop and and they can't stop anymore? even though they want to stop. I mean, it's a very common phenomena with any addiction where the person, whether they're shivering outside having a cigarette going, I wish I could quit, but they won't quit. And similarly, mm -hmm. the food addict is saying, I really wish I could stop right now, but I have to, I'll do it tomorrow. Right. Um, um, so, um, uh, let me see, is that, I think that's, that's the sort of general idea is, is that this obsession that takes over and, and takes over to the point of impairment into the point of actual um, um, de life devastation. So we see it almost, I see it as, I'm asking a number of questions to grade that um, to uh, almost like early stage, middle stage, uh, to late stage, and how bad is it? And in the earlier stages and middle stages, it may well look like a binge eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But it's in my office, and in my point of view, I'm going to say um, I, I, this is not an. Ex I don't know. It, it, this is not good for science. But it, I, I'm a clinician, and I have the patient in front of me, and I want to do something for them. So mm -hmm. I'm going to draw my line in the sand and say this looks like an addiction. So let's try an addiction model of treatment, and it's not going to harm you. And uh, if nothing else, you'll. I'm going to be introducing to you. Um, a, a, a high quality food plan and some tools that are not harmful. And if it doesn't work, I'll know in two or three weeks how helpful it will be. Uh, and uh, so it's almost like trial and error if it works or not. Um, and usually, like you said yourself, the person knows intuitively this really speaks to me or it doesn't. Right. And so, but you know, that's not great science, but it works, it works clinically very well. What do you think, the one thing I've heard some people talk about is the negativity of that, of the addiction label being applied to yeah. food, like that's yeah. one of the big um, I know. controversies, right? What's your viewpoint yeah. on that? I, I, I get that because already the person is probably dealing with, uh, the, like you mentioned, the shame of, of the mm -hmm. lack of control of eating, and you know, it's pretty shameful when you're uh, doing behaviors that are, um, you know, you wouldn't want anybody to know about, like eating mm -hmm. out of garbage and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it can get pretty, pretty serious. Um, uh, so you're dealing with that. You're, you're dealing probably with the shame of obesity. I mean, there's, that's a stigma right there. Um, and then, yes, now should we add this third 
this third um, piece on top of it. Um, I, I, I would rather than shy away from um, the idea of addiction is a stigma. I mean, I mean you're right. Like um, is it David Kessler who wrote about um, the addictive nature of food like 15 years ago, but he called hyperpalatability. And, and I remember I actually had an, an, abil an occasion that I could ask him a question and I said, why don't you just call it addiction instead of hyperpalatability? Um, yeah. And he said, people won't read it. They don't want to hear that word. But I, I, I would um, prefer to say, let's destigmatize the word addiction rather than hide from it. I mean, we look, look at what happens with the opiate epidemic. Like if yeah. we can admit Hey, all of us, every single one of us, you, me, I, I, you know, I'm happy to talk about my own history here, um, have had our own histories of addiction, um, whether it be cigarettes, whether it be uh, alcohol, whether it be food. Um, and uh, it's the nature of the, of the world that we live in that it's, uh, it, it, it so much triggers the dopamine impulses because we're bombarded with them. Uh, let's let's destigmatize that and then we can call things what they are. So that there's the opiate issue, there's the you know uh, internet or or um, shopping. I, I mean, it's all over the place. And why not call it what it is? Yeah, and I I can see the flip side too, where uh, because there's so much shame with not being able to figure out what's going on with yourself, and and being told that everywhere you turn that you should have it sorted out. Yes. Um, that being labeling it and going, oh, that's why. Yes, I'm the way I am. Can also have a freeing aspect. Yeah, right? yeah, because because you know, now I don't want to get political again, but and you know, this is this is this is the funny thing. Um, I, I I when I got into this field, it was for personal reasons, and then it became professional. And more and more as I'm in this field, I'm getting more and more political. So I don't let me get on the political <laughs> box too long. But um, uh, when we the, when we talk about this, we really are blaming the victim. You know, we we feel bad about this. But if you look at a person who's smoking. Uh, cigarettes and they're 15 years old and they're smoking cigarettes but we no longer say um you know why doesn't this person stop we're angry at the cigarette industry we, we see it as as yeah. a thing that was uh, um manipulated to get the young and to keep them smoking for and that's the food industry is doing so, the very so, so much the same but you know we feel bad about it ourselves it's it's a yeah. blaming victim and if we um uh, can call it an addiction yes the person will not feel so bad and it doesn't mean they're off the hook but it means that we can turn our our um our policy initiatives um where they belong so i'm going to take care of myself and i'm also good excuse me, going to make sure that the food industry doesn't hurt my children, my patients, the people who um, I have an influence, or, you know, as a family yeah. doctor, influence over what we recommend to people um, and, and, you know, their mothers and their children. Well, now we can start to, you know, have put the influence where it belongs, which is be careful about what you're eating. It's a toxic food environment out there. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe can we go through, because you have a book, do you want... Yeah to talk a little bit about kind of what led you to write your book and a little bit about your history. Sure. So um, before I um, got into family medicine, uh, like every other um, uh, teenage um, university graduate, I was worried about my weight. And, you know, when I look at the pictures of myself now, I think, what was I worried about? But uh, anyway, I was worried about my weight and, and um, worried about um, and got into the whole dieting cycle. And, um, that what that ends up doing is is uh, I mean I find it very interesting how this 
happens. But anyway, once you start to deprive yourself, then you want the foods. Anyway, what ended up happening was is that I developed what would have then been called um, a uh, bulimic um, uh, phenomena. Uh, but this was in the uh, 70s, 80s. Uh, wait a second, I'm dating myself more than I actually am. Um, this was in the 90s before bulimia was um, widely clinically understood. And so um, people didn't really know what to do. I heard the word, nobody knew what to do. Um, and so I sort of dealt with it myself. And it wasn't until I was, um, and then I went into family medicine and I, I, I remember uh, working um, uh, at the hospital, you know, late night internship, you have to do uh, um, on call, eating the hospital food going, oh my God, this food is so bad and gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight. And, and I gained quite a lot of weight. Um, uh, and I remember at one point um, saying, I have to stop eating like this and then getting into that whole cycle of uh, uh, the obsession about food or the obsession about trying to lose weight. Um, that remained with me for a number of years um, as I became a very um, corpulent family doctor telling my patients not to, you know, how to eat. And mm -hmm. being very hypocritical about that, but not knowing what to do about it. Exactly. Um, when I got into uh, addiction medicine, um, it just hit me one day, oh my God, why don't I just try to treat this like um, uh, an addiction? Because I had found in the past that I would always lose weight. I was very successful because I have a lot of willpower, a lot of us do, uh, professionals do, really able to lose the weight. Uh, and then at a certain point, I would say, now it's time I can you know, move back into society and, and eat normally. And um, would find that once I had a little bit I would lose the, that whole precious uh, space of peace and um, would, it would be that mental obsession again, which we now call the uh, phenomenon of craving in the addiction world. I didn't have those words then, but once I got into the addiction world, it all fit. Right. And uh, I, I learned the tools in the addiction world, and this is what I write about in the book. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like when you have that paradigm it's the missing piece of the puzzle for many people. It's like things click into place. Oh yes, if I, rather than um, before the word would have been deprivation and being, un, un, you don't want to be not normal in the crowd where everybody's having a little bit of dessert. Now I'm using the term abstinence. This is a, this is a trigger food and I'm going to be abstinent from it so that I do not have or experience the phenomena of craving, which means I have a little bit and I want more. And, and that gave me the permission to then say, no, thank you, I don't eat that stuff. I mean, some people will say I'm allergic to it. Others will say I'm uh, addicted to it or just I don't eat that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then using the tools of relapse prevention to stay in that place. And uh, since I did that and actually believed in that model, um, I can tell you that, that um, unlike what the bariatric clinicians will say, which is don't try to encourage your patients to lose weight because they'll gain it back. I can tell you that it's been 10 years and I have not gained, I lost a hundred pounds. I have not gained it back and nor do I have an obsession or I don't feel deprived. So mm -hmm. there is a place of um, heaven. There is a, there is another reality out there uh, for if you use this model and the models sustains and um, uh, justifies it, clarifies it, uh, allows you to live in it rather than feel like you're doing something wrong. Right. Uh, 
So I know that from personal experience. And then since then, uh, since then, luckily for me, uh, the addiction, the American Society of Addiction Medicine has, because it's full of addiction doctors, um, uh, thanks, and also thanks to the work of Anora Volkov, um, who has done a lot of work on food addiction and, you know, the dopamine response to sugar. And, and there's more and more research on that level. We have some research to actually um, back us up. Mm -hmm. But I can say clinically, I see it happening all the time, that it works if you use an addiction model. And we have the science now that's preliminary. It's still at the rat stage. We're starting mm -hmm. to get at the people stage, but the studies are very small. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are some of the, um, when you say using the addiction model to treat it, what are some of the main things that you do to, so you mentioned abstinence, but what yeah. else? Yeah, that would be like number one is abstinence. Um, and, um, uh, you know, interestingly enough, there's the craze right now. I, I don't know if it's a craze if it, or if it'll be a sustainable uh, thing. Uh, you know, people are eating keto now. People are eating paleo right now. And, and um, I, I'm, I'm fine with those because they're sugar-free. And, and I think, why is it that they're working? Why is it that people are going, wow? Um, I, I think, well, if they're food addicts, because they've stumbled on it without having to use that word addiction, you know, that dirty word right. of addiction. Uh, the problem is, is that with the keto and the uh, paleo and whatnot, a person may um, still reintroduce the trigger food and then they'll lose their, their uh, serenity of mind. Yeah. So anyway, um, abstinence is number one. And, and uh, that's the key difference between an eating disorder and food addiction. Because the eating disorder would, would say, look, this is an eating if it's in any kind of addiction, it's an eating addiction. It's not a food addiction. And we say it doesn't matter what the past, what, you're, what the reason for your eating, whether you're happy, sad, um, um, uh, you know, ecstatic, it's New Year's, it's, it's Christmas, or you're just bored. Um, it doesn't matter what, it don't pick up the food. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. phrase, no matter what, you just don't pick up the food. Um, because it doesn't matter what the psychology is you're going to, it's like you don't pick up a cigarette, you don't pick up a crack pipe if that's your history, um, because that itself will set up the uh, momentum for addiction. So uh, abstinence is key, and that's where we butt our heads with the eating disorder community, because they don't want to do that. Can um, we talk about, uh, sorry, along those lines, like when we're yeah. talking about abstinence and yeah. mention sugar, but it's not that people are addicted to asparagus. No, no, no. Sugar and what yeah. other foods do yeah. you find? So, so um, I, 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 you know, when I talk about this to patients, I usually, I usually say it's, it's that's, it's the phrase that you always hear people saying is just eat real food. If you want a simple answer, you can leave right now. If you get this, just eat real food. What we're really talking about is processed foods, and so that would be um, sugar, and then of course flour because that's almost on the glycemic index. That's almost sugar. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, but it's you know it's not a low carb diet. We're, we're still asking people to eat broccoli and Brussels sprouts and 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 carrots, um, you know, real food, but not 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 juiced, but the real thing with all of the fiber yeah. and all the rest of it. Um, and and um, uh, which is why I think keto works because it's so you know it, if you are going to eat vegetables, it's going to be the complex carbs. It's not going to be the the processed stuff. So the the simple answer is um, no sugar. Uh, no flour uh, as uh, unprocessed and uh, in uh, I, uh, one of the things I talk about in my book uh, food junkies 
is that I work at Renaissance and we have a food addiction program that, that uh, was a pilot um, a year ago and now it's an actual program. And in that uh, program, we uh, take the umbrella of, of the extreme because we, we're assuming if you're coming in to see us, you must be uh, um, already on, on board with your food addict and you're willing to do anything. So we kind of, the, the 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 scope is wide so we say no sugar no flour even no grains and mm -hmm. you may find that you can eat grains but um why not try for three or four weeks to see if uh the, the phenomena craving goes away and uh, you'll probably start to lose weight i mean that's not the goal because this is a focus on addiction but mm -hmm. it always happens that the person loses weight just once the addiction's treated hey yeah, yeah, and then you're not going to pick it up. So, and and uh, in the uh, pilot project of which we saw over 60 people, um, well, there was 80 people, but 60 people responded with our uh, questions afterwards. Um, we found that um, uh, it was by day 10 or 12 that that they started to um, that feeling of deprivation passed because really, what is that deprivation but withdrawal? Mm -hmm are raging and of course you're feeling deprived as would a heroin addict when they're in withdrawal um, but then when it passes it's like no I don't feel deprived anymore I feel relieved from that obsession and that happened so I would say to somebody um, try abstinence for a month and if you find that you're walking out um, not craving anymore then then it's up to you if you want to tempt that if you want to tempt fate um, and, and then um, uh, if you want to reintroduce, just be very careful because processed foods have, I mean, they're manipulated to be addictive. That's what yeah, absolutely. the whole point is. The processing is not to extend the food life of subjects, uh, of foods. It's to make them more palatable and more addictive. Um, so maybe a person can reintroduce, you know, grains again, but I'd be very hesitant to suggest that they reintroduce um, regular processed foods mm -hmm. and so so if we're going back to kind of the the mod of the addiction treatment model so abstinence yes is a big one and then what what are the other tools that so, you guys so, use so then so that's the number one so you, essentially that's like um um the first step and and you know if you think about the uh, 12 steps because that's what we use in the addiction model um which by the way this is you know the addiction model of treatment is every, anywhere from total abstinence to a harm reduction uh, framework. And, and uh, we would suggest that if you want to have peace of mind, you have to be in the total abstinence model. So, mm -hmm. so uh, what does total abstinence look like? Well, it's the food it's a food abstinent plan. And then what happens is um, how it, 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 that's the first step. That's the first three weeks. Um, uh, then what we would do is um, teach you now what you're going to have to do is learn all the tools to maintain that abstinence. And that is actually the lifetime of tools that we teach people. Abstinence, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, relapse prevention. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we teach people, that's where mindfulness and cognitive therapy come in. They don't come in when you're still in the food because mm -hmm. they can't. It's like asking the alcoholic to do cognitive therapy when they're drinking or they're in withdrawal. It doesn't work. But once once um, they're sober, food sober, drug sober, um, those tools to keep them clean. So that it won't make them clean, but it will keep them clean. Right. So that they make those choices. And, and uh, the focus on that is as important as the abstinence, because not only does society want you to go back, 
and mm -hmm. they want you to go back, not because the people are nasty, but because they don't get it or it's not in their financial interest, right? Mm -hmm. um, also, you as the addict, um, uh, we are um, uh, people who have addiction are forever vulnerable to their own um, addictive loops, those strong loops that that say, I, I mean, when when you now have the memory of of uh, a predictable um, euphoric recall experience you're living with that knowledge i often say it's like this is this is the the the, the, the apple of of you know that the adam ate in the in the garden you know is that you've had this experience now that you will never forget that i can always opt out of reality in a very predictable way and it will always work at least initially mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh the addict lives with that um default that it will be forever in their face so it, i think it's a uh, uh um the, the tools to sustain recovery um, are as important as getting to recovered in the first place. So yeah. that would be, like I said, relapse prevention, cognitive therapy, mindfulness, uh, and of course, support. Mm -hmm. which is a huge one, a huge one. And for relapse prevention, what do you, how do you counsel people on that specific to food? Um, well, okay, so there's, there's uh, for relapse prevention? Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Uh, well, it would be um, recognizing what your triggers are, um, mm -hmm. which are, it's pretty easy. It's, it's going to be sugar and processed foods and all of the favorite foods that you always like, everything from chips and cheesies to ice cream to whatever, popcorn at the, at the, at the, at the uh, movie theater, <laughs> um, and then recognizing how to protect yourself against those. So it might be that in the first six months, you don't go to movies. Until, mm -hmm. until the, um, uh, the cue, because it is really all about Pavlovian responses. Like it, it, in some ways, addiction is a learned response, but it's a very powerful, 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 powerful learned response. And, and you want to extinguish that, that, um, those cues, but that takes a very long time. And so some of it might be that you'll avoid things, you'll go to places with people, so you're protecting yourself from those cues triggering mm -hmm. you. Um, not doing it yourself is very important because especially as physicians, like we talk, if we want to talk about ourselves, um, we don't like asking for help and we don't like to uh, think that we can't do it ourselves and we can't figure it out ourselves, but you know, we're still human animals and we're still subject to our limbic system and, and, and the, uh, a sort of primal, um, I mean, addiction is a distortion of learning in a primal area of our brain that is far more powerful than willpower. And, and in the same way as when um, I am frightened, so frightened that I can't think my way out of something, uh, you know, even in a clinical scenario, a, 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 a patient has frightened their diagnosis and I don't know what to do, I'm going to feel the same way about food. Like if I'm triggered, I'm not going to be able to utilize all those uh, uh, um, frontal lobe tools and, and cognitive tricks and memory of, of you know, things, they're not going to be available to me when I'm, when I need them most. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it's, uh, recognizing that, um, you know, as physicians, as people who are very, um, used to working for ourselves independently, um, we are still creatures that require, um, 
in a, in a, in a, an adrenalized um, fear, flight, flight, fright, freeze response, which is what, what where this is at the level of. Um, um, we're still um, as um, susceptible to bad thinking as anybody else. Bad thinking meaning I need this food to feel better. Um, yeah, and I, I would say too. I think sometimes our job demands may maybe make us more susceptible to those thinking patterns, right? Like you haven't yes. slept, but you have to keep working. You have to keep yes. seeing people. And there's no possible time to actually do self-care. So the self-care you do, this is my, <laughs> was food. It yes. was drive through food because that's the only time I, I had to eat. Exactly. And you're not going to uh, have a cigarette because that's so unacceptable now. And you're and not, not going <laughs> to Right? You're not going to drink. Yeah. So food is like totally um, um, acceptable. It, and, and it's still quite acceptable, I think, in our society to be like, oh, I had a horrible day. Like, let's just go mm -hmm. eat out. And like, it, it's very socially acceptable to do that. Yes. yes. But like you said, not socially acceptable so yes. much to say, yes. let's go yes. get really drunk. Exactly. So, so that, so, you know, relapse prevention is addressing those social phenomena as well. And then learning mm -hmm. tools about how to, how to get out of like, what do you do when you go um, and you have a hard day and like, and you need to de-stress and somebody brings you something and says, let's go out. Like, and this is, so this is something my patients in my groups bring up quite a bit is like the concept of food pushers. Yes. Um, and so do you have specific tips on how to manage people who do it in a, generally it's done in a method that seems positive and seems supportive, uh -huh. but is undermining what you're trying to do for yourself. Do you have tips? Uh, yeah, I don't know if I have any better suggestions than you have probably already come up with, but you know, I just, I mean, I, I know that people will say things like, well, I'm diabetic or, I, or I'm allergic to these foods, I can't eat them, or I've already eaten, so I, I'm full. What I do personally is um, I'll usually say, can you give it to me and I'll, I'll, I'll have it later or something like that. I'll take it, I'll take it with me. I don't want it right now. Um, uh, sometimes it's just no, but there are people like family members who, you know, it's, it's, it's a mark that, um, or like you said earlier, it's, it's a shared experience. And what do you do then? Um, it's very difficult. When I go out um, to eat, uh, I will, um, depending on where it is, often bring my own food and then people just get used to me being, that's what Vera does. Um, but, uh, it, it, you know, to some degree, it will mean that you'll have to be set boundaries that are more clear and more, you'll have to learn how to set boundaries that you haven't learned before. Mm -hmm. And you'll also have to, um, learn to, uh, stand out a bit more than you might want to in order to protect your sobriety. Like, I think that that's a given. It's a given for an alcoholic as well. You know, mm -hmm. you're just going to have to do that. But I, I, although I understand that and I feel the, the discomfort of that, like, believe me, I feel that. Um, more and more, I think the political sense of, you, you know, this food has been normalized. You know, you're pushing this food, which is actually a toxin, um, so that it is a bit like saying, come on and have a cigarette with me or come on and have a, a you know, a brandy with me. Uh, when, when, you know, it's so normalized, but if we put it, start putting it in that kind of abnormal or more, more toxic, if you can kind of see it that way, it might be a little mm -hmm. bit easier. Yeah. It's that whole concept where 
um, again, the messaging you receive is that you should be able to control your weight, but you yes. also sh should not deprive yourself yes. and you should be able to just partake of everything that yes. a normal, and I'm using air quotes, person yes. does. But yes. the reality of our environment is it's actually normal to be overweight and to struggle yes. with weight. Yes. And what is normal eating isn't actually conducive to managing weight when you have a body type that likes to hold weight. Yeah. I mean, what did people do when the non-smokers of 30 years ago, like what did they do? That, that's what we mm -hmm. have to do. Mm -hmm. um, um, I mean, like it, when I think about it as, you know, this is here, have a little bit of asbestos because it's, it's, uh, it's <laughs> tasty. Um, you know, it's not normal. It's, it's, so it's, some of it is bursting that bubble. And, and I think that actually GPs are the ones that are going to have to do that. I, I don't, unfortunately, see the bariatric clinicians doing that, which, which but anyway, that's, that's another battle. Yeah, and, and you know, it's also, there's that, the kind of conflict of the food guide, right? Like a lot of the yes. uh, publicly funded um, programs a follow a food guide meaning again that you should be able to eat some of everything and just watch how much you eat and yeah. you, you should yeah. be fine with that and that doesn't work for everybody no no but it, it is a bit like saying you should be able to smoke a cigarette and and not get cancer like come on like like it's it's a false belief that's being perpetuated because sugar and processed foods are not real foods mm -hmm. and Thankfully, that message at least is becoming more known in the, in the uh, uh, community. And thankfully, uh, although food addiction is not yet being recognized as a diagnostic entity, which I'm hoping it will, uh, what I am seeing and I'm very pleased to see is that we, more and more society uh, is, is recognizing that foods are addictive. Maybe not that there's a clinical syndrome of food addiction, but that foods are addictive. And, and so that now you can say, oh, I'm a sugaraholic and I want to quit sugar. Like, like I did uh, last year on Facebook um, with great success. I was, I was like, wow. Um, I said, let's do a sugar-free month. You know, I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. I'm not do that and and it was like so many people wanted to do that so what that showed me was wow uh th this isn't this is there is a level of awareness now that there wasn't even a couple of years ago and i think that's going to continue more and more uh and yeah. it's probably thanks to the work that we're doing like to to foster this to, to keep it going exactly i worry like um because and i think that's why keto is yes. becoming so popular right and it yes. in the time frame where I've been working it with low carb it's I've seen it blow up yeah books in Costco and not just one but multiple yeah. books yes, but yeah. what that makes me worry is that the food companies will be you know not far behind that right and I know, I know. So that messaging won't have the same power once there's a bunch of processed right. options right. in the grocery store yeah, I, th I think, yeah, I, you know, I think that, and, and it could even go the other way, and then we're going to start talking about um, uh, eating a lot of fat and, you know, you know, getting away from whatever usefulness there is of, of um, complex carbs, because like, I do believe that there, we, that there should be, in the real food uh, framework, there should be uh, um, a certain amount of uh, complex carbs. I, I'm not a low, low carb person, mm -hmm. um, uh, but anyway, anyway, right. 
Um, I had a question. So um, you mentioned about kind of once you've experienced this level of dopamine um, stimulation, yes. it's hard to forget it. And I see that in definitely, um, like if food has been your entertainment, it's been your coping mechanism for when you're sad, mad, excited, happy, tired. Yes. Um, and suddenly you take it away. Yes. A lot of my the patients I work with are like, okay, but then what? Yes, I know. And where does that dopamine then come from? Yeah. Essentially, that's what that question is, right? Is yeah. how you do know, I get my dopamine? You know, I think that it's what what was really interesting in in uh, our experience at Renaissance is so so I like I said I see a lot of people with addiction, and primarily the addictions are um, alcohol and cocaine and uh, and, and marijuana maybe. Um, and, and, uh, uh, but then what I see them doing is picking up food and I'll ask them, are you eating more now than you, than you used to before you came into this program two weeks ago? And they say, oh yes, oh my God, yes. And, and when we uh, started to, um, uh, bring in the uh, food addicts, so they weren't allowed to obviously drink or do cocaine or anything like that. And now they couldn't do their food either. And, and, um, what we saw was, uh, the, the one crowd, the sort of first crowd, the alcoholics and whatnot eating food um, and then and and then the non that the food addicts looking there uh, going and we can't we can't do anything you at least have that and they the um, uh, uh, in terms of how to who was I don't know how to say this in a tactful way but they were the the, the food addicts required the most um, care um, they were the most I don't want to say demanding. Well, you know, we're talking from doctor to doctor here. They, they were the hardest, highest need uh, clients out of all of our addicts. And you know, addicts are pretty high need out of the population. They're pretty damn high need. And uh, the food addicts were the highest need because they had nothing. And yeah, they totally lost all their coping. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, things like trauma came up and sexual yeah. abuse. All this kind of, it's like, oh my God, you know, we're just trying to deal with the addiction here. Um, and, and so but there's a lot of that. Hey, like, oh yeah, like there's a, a lot of trauma history, I think, in Absolutely. people who struggle Absolutely. with this. Yes. Um, but, but what we, uh, what we, we still held firm to the principle of abstinence first. And then what we did, because it's a four week program, now you're doing something that's longer, but we would, um, in the same way as any trauma, uh, we would uh, say, you want to, first of all, um, learn how to, um, self soothe. Now you're not going to use your drug, but so you're going to need to learn a lot of other tools. So that's where the mindfulness and cognitive therapy and all that stuff comes in. Yeah. Um, before you actually get to the trauma. Um, and so what we would try to do is, you know, be trauma informed, but we've never dealt with the trauma. It's just impossible at this stage because yeah. the person is so raw. Uh, so I, really all I can say is, is I can empathize with you that this is, anybody in this field has to be aware of this area. And uh, I would say um, uh, to help the, get in place, what are the tools that we can now teach that will be self-soothing? And, and, uh, I'm going to say right now that one of the best tools um, is is the group support. So you, I think mm -hmm. you mentioned that you're trying to introduce that now, some sort of group support. Yeah, locally I do uh, group medical visits every two weeks with my people. And so I, the one -on -one. there's no end date to it either because, again, there's no end date to this yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. No, there is no, there is no end date. Absolutely not. Um, uh, anyway, the group support is really, really, really important because um, uh, so much of this stuff, the person, 
um, I mean, they've been living with all of these issues on their own and then, you know, self-medicating with food. Um, now, uh, it, it, trying not to deal with the trauma itself, but learning some tools, but also learning how to reconnect with people. And, you know, people who have had the same kind of uh, devastating sense of devastation in their life, maybe not speaking specifically about trauma, but, you know, we're all in the same room and we've had the same kinds of experiences. There's already a unity there. Mm -hmm. um, it's the reason why we push the 12 step program so much in addiction. And I'm, it, uh, there, there isn't something like that in other, well, I guess there is now. Um, I'm wrong about that. Like in, in uh, palliative care, there's a lot of uh, group things you can go to now so that you can sit in a room with other people who have uh, cancer and are going through chemotherapy together. So, mm -hmm. Anyway, that kind of stuff is, I think, crucial in this. And we have it already built in in the 12-step program. Yeah. And so self-soothing, so you said, like, group support. Are there other yeah. activities, that, and mindfulness you mentioned, is there other activities that you find that your patients seem to find useful when they're trying to do learn those new self-soothing, non-food-related? Well, um, I, I think, oh, it, it, so, like, it's, it's really, it's, an abstinent food plan, um, relapse prevention, so recognizing the triggers and learning how to work with them, either avoiding or managing, um, uh, getting uh, a therapist or sponsor or coach or somebody that you can connect with on a daily basis or very regular basis mm -hmm. uh, uh, is really helpful because food is ubiquitous and you live with it every minute of the day, so having a strong connection. So in, in the food program, we called it a food buddy. And we even go as far as to say you, you talk about what the food is that you're eating and you, you maintain um, curves around that. Um, uh, so in, in, uh, in our program, not only did we say no flour, no sugar, no grains, we also said you had to weigh and measure your food because it made it, it what it essentially, and you had to write it down. What it essentially did was took it out of your um the far reaches of your mind, you put it on paper uh, and um, um, it, it, it was no longer something you had to think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's a piece, I mean, of course it sounds um, artificial and, and unusual, but there's a peace of mind there. And, and then now you, 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 once you've done that, then it's going to be on a daily basis. Okay. I've, I'm upset about this and I would normally eat. Well, now can I talk to you about this? So yeah. like a, a really close connection. And then after that, on, on top of that, uh, a weekly, I like the idea of weekly, at least once a week group thing where everybody can say, yes, um, you're not alone in this. Like it, it's almost like, because we're social animals, right? We, we are mm -hmm. all of us and, and in, including physicians. Um, who want to be independent. We're still social animals and we need to create an artificial bubble of safety in the dangerous world out there. Mm -hmm. And that artificial bubble will be, hi, I'm Vera. I'm, I'm either a food addict or I'm a, I'm a member of this group. And, uh, um, and here are, are my issues, which I share with you. And here are my solutions, which I share with you. And, and that will give me that bubble of safety that when I go out there and feel like I'm a fool and unusual, it doesn't matter because I have my, I have my group to back me up. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of my package of tools in a nutshell. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
So I think it, we should probably um, start kind of wrapping up, but do you want to just again, tell people the name of your book yeah. and okay. where to find it? Yes, I will. And, and it, maybe I can see as a, as a wrap up statement, sure. I know that your, your goal in this podcast is to speak to physicians uh, who struggle themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, wouldn't it be great if there were a physician group, either Facebook online or, or in the way that you're doing here, um, some kind of part, some way that people can kind of create that, that community, or I've, I've called it an artificial bubble, but some sense of community of physician, just like a Caduceus group has, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of Caduceus groups, but they're mm -hmm. uh, groups of uh, healthcare uh, professionals who um, are all in that room. It's not a 12-step program. It's a, uh, a pro professional support program for people who have addiction because you're going to want to talk about, you know, the, the, the pills that you stole from the, the hospital in a safe place, like not that you're doing it anymore, but that you did. And to, to get rid of the shame of that. And how do you uh, now work in, a, in an, an environment where there's drugs all over the place and you are a healthcare provider? Like that kind of safety uh, is in a caduceus group. Wouldn't it be nice if you could have something like that for physicians for food? Oh my God. So if that's your goal, I'm really pleased. I, I, I'm totally in, in, I think it's great. Yeah, so, ultimately I'm thinking like I'll probably get some sort of face group going, um, Facebook group, sorry. I, I haven't totally worked out the details on yeah. like okay. um, exactly what it would be, but I agree. I think, you know, the, the reason why I'm doing this is there's just so few physician focused resources yeah. out there. And yeah. like you kind of mentioned, we think we should have it figured out. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, yeah, don't check, and, check out the Caduceus group model. It's um yeah. uh, in in Ontario. It's the Ontario Medical Association has a uh, uh, they have they started it. They're the ones who started um, um, it in Ontario. So that's that's a resource. But anyway, um, in terms of um, it, 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 me, um, I have a, a website called addictionsunplugged.com or viratarmanmd.com. And I, if, if uh, somebody is interested in um, understanding more from a scientific and clinical picture point of view about food addiction, um, my book, um, Food Junkies, The Truth About Food Addiction, has been out for four years and I'm getting um, a second edition actually next month. Um, that's called Food Junkies Recovery from Food Addiction. Uh, and that's available at Amazon, Indigo Chapters, um, whatever. So, yeah, I easily found it on, uh, on Amazon prime when I wanted to get a copy. Yeah. Great. Um, so Vera, thank you so much for talking to me. I think this has been awesome. Um, Great. and Great. I, I'm sure there's going to be lots of people that find this really helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see, you know, what sort of questions and stuff we get out of this and maybe, Maybe I'll contact you down the road if there's a bunch more. Yeah, I think to come back. Yeah, I think it's just a fantastic like conversation and topic to to uh, just make open. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'd like to thank Dr. Tarman for taking the time to be interviewed for this show. I really think that interview will prove to be helpful for quite a few people. If you have questions or comments regarding this topic, please either email me at dr.key at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca or post a comment on the website under this episode. 
As always, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to leave an iTunes review. If you're enjoying this podcast, the iTunes reviews really help a new podcast get seen and found by people who might benefit from it. Come back next week when we're going to be talking about some practical tips for meal planning in the face of a busy job and busy life and how to set yourself up for success. We'll see you next week. Have a great one.